You're listening to audio from Forward Church in Irvine, California. We help people find hope in Jesus. For more information, please visit forwardchurchirvine.com. Well, welcome everybody. Merry Christmas. Oh, that feels so nice to hear you guys say that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, really a joy to be with everyone here today. If you have your Bibles, if you could take them out and turn to Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 20. Uh, the title of my message today is going to be called The Joy That You Need. Last week, we looked at the hope that you need. This week, we're going to look at the joy that you need. And again, I want us to put into practice, to be able to take out our Bibles, to be able to search these things ourselves. Uh, if you could go to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. If anyone's been watching Christmas movies, uh, and uh, one of my favorites is a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know that famous scene where uh, Linus comes up and begins to read this same text that we're going to read right now. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to read through verses 1 through 20. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he has found favor. When the angels had gone away from them uh, into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back to glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you would open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your law, out of your word, Lord. If we are in need of encouragement, please encourage us. If we are in need of conviction, Lord, please grant us that conviction. Lord, if we are in need of hope, please give us hope. If we are in need of joy, please give us joy. Lord, you know our need, and we come before you today bringing nothing but ourselves. 
We ask for this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you love Christmas like me, you probably like Christmas movies. And uh, if I could get a show of hands, who's been watching Christmas movies? If you've watched at least one, just to get a sense. Okay. Okay. So, we, we got a fair amount of people here. So, yeah. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. In fact, I watched it this week. And... Um, for those of you who've seen it, here's a uh, brief summary of the plot. Young Kevin is left home alone this time in New York, right, to fight thieves uh, for money for the children's hospital. Uh, underneath all the noble action we see is a selfish little boy who lives out the fantasies of a selfish little boy uh, who feels that his family is unfair and misunderstands him, and may not even like him, okay? He dives into selfishness and self-indulgence at the Plaza Hotel, uh, <laughs> only to find himself alone, scared, and sad. So, only when he tries living for others, he finds the joy of family and being reunited. A great Christmas movie. Yeah, I think that's why it resonates. December 28th, thank you. <clears throat> December 28th is my daughter's, Chloe's birthday. She's going to be five this year. Her middle name is Noel, for you guys who didn't know, her name is Chloe Noel, which in uh, French is Christmas. I always think about her in the day she was born around Christmas time. And like a natural narcissist, I think of myself. Uh, so for our first daughter, Naomi, when she was being born, when uh, Nicole was going into labor, I was amazing. Uh, we took the classes. I was on top of it. I was her breathing coach. The bag was ready. I couldn't have been more patient or more encouraging. I held the hand, drove everywhere, remained completely calm, was right there. And I, you know, I, was, I gave myself a pat on the back. I'm like, good job, Nicole, but come on. <laughs> and so at least that's how I think about it in my mind. But Chloe, on the other hand, I, I was very bad. <laughs> and you think I've done this before. And I, uh, I was annoying. I was unhelpful. I was like, oh, my back hurts, but I shouldn't tell Nicole. <laughs> when, we, when it came time to go to the hospital and like get registered and admitted, she's like, where's the hospital bag? And I'm like... I forgot it. <laughs> and I, I felt so bad. Then we drove back home to get the hospital bag and went back to the hospital. So I, you know, I was very unhelpful to my courageous and amazing wife. Uh, you know, having experienced those things or at least watched the birth happen, I often think of, man, I wonder what Joseph was thinking. I wonder, did Mary find him helpful or kind of annoying? It's like, yo, you have one job. Find me a place to sleep. Sorry, I can't. Right? So, and of course, all these things are funny because you consider the joy of a child, the joy of a new life, and you're like, yeah. And you just kind of forget all of that. In our series that we're going through Advent between two worlds. We're examining what it means to live life after the first coming or Advent of Jesus Christ and waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. As people 
who are living with hope. Last week, we talked about the hope we need. Today, I would like to discuss the joy we need, the joy that you need. I believe that joy is the attitude of hope in Jesus. And my big idea is this. Joy is a light in the darkness. Jesus is the joy that you need. Joy is a light in the darkness. Jesus is the joy that you need. And today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about good news of great joy. And we're going to talk about treasure of the heart. Again, we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about good news of great joy. And we're going to talk about treasure of the heart. Fear. Now, the Bible is a book about faith. It's a book that is not about you primarily, but it is for you. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is not a book about you. It's a book for you. Okay. Uh, The main character, the reason that we even call it revelation is that the main character in the Bible is God. The main character in the Bible is God. It reveals how God is like who he is. It shows us what ultimate reality is. The Bible helps our faith to be born and to grow. In fact, Apostle Paul says that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, you might be asking yourself, if faith is the standard, if that is the standard, if all things to not be sinful must be done by faith in the God of the universe, that's how we are to live, what is the opposite of faith? It's fear. It's fear. The opposite of faith is fear. If faith causes you to move, fear causes you to freeze. If faith causes you to move, fear causes you to freeze. In fact, the most often command that we hear in the scriptures is do not fear. Do not fear. And we are not talking about the fear of the Lord here. That is altogether in a different category. We are talking about fear as the opposite of faith. And as we enter an all too familiar story, I want to slow down a little and see that we really do believe in, uh, we do really live between two worlds. The story of Jesus' take, uh, birth takes place on two levels. And I believe that you are here for this story today. Luke not only outlines what happens, but he outlines the fear that you and I came in here with today. And if you're uncomfortable with the use of the word fear, saying, no, I'm brave, Consider the modern word that's thrown around all the time for fear, and that is anxiety. Anxiety. When we, when I'm saying fear, it's anxiety. It's a, it's a worry about the future, a paralytic worry, one that posits that God doesn't know what he's doing in the world and that he doesn't know what he's doing in our life, and that makes it so hard for us to make decisions. I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. I'm talking regular run-of-the-mill unbelief, a.k.a. anxiety, a.k.a. fear. My hope today is that we could identify that fear and give it to Jesus, that he would transform that fear into faith. I'm going to say that again. My hope is that we could identify that fear, put words to it. 
It's kind of like a boogeyman. What's a monster? It's something without a category. When you turn the lights on, when you give it a name, when you put it in light of who God is, you're able to then contend with it. And it allows Jesus to uh, transform that into faith. Now, Luke here identifies narratively seven fears that I believe that are present in our lives at different levels that cast a dark shadow and choke out our joy as we walk during the Advent and Christmas season. So I want to talk about seven fears. I'm going to read all of them through, then we're going to go through them one by one. The seven fears are government or tyranny. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't think I was going to hear that today. Money, another one, displacement, relationships or family, parenting, exclusion, and the supernatural. I'm going to read that again. The seven fears are government or tyranny, money, displacement, relationships or family, parenting, exclusion, and fear of the supernatural. And it's all here. As we read in this story, we hear that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the self-proclaimed king of the universe, the self-proclaimed emperor, the uh, God incarnate. This is very much a contrast. Luke is writing to say Jesus really is the king of kings, but there's people who say that they are the king of kings. And we see what happens. The days went out where uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of the entire world. What's that for? All of the people in the world now must move because of the things one guy said. It's like you're going through your life. You have a nice little carpentry business and you're like, well, sorry, that money's cut off. You got to go do something else. I think that has come into sharp relief these last two years during the pandemic where we did not realize how much power that the government actually has in our life. From mandates uh, to regulation to schools, and I'm not making a comment on whether those things are good or not. They just are, and we've all experienced that. And I believe that this anxiety about what's the government going to do next, what's someone going to be next, is going on like a humdrum in the background every day of our life when we open up our Twitter feed or Instagram or talk to families or talk to neighbors and all the stuff that happens. And we don't know what the future is going to be like. We really don't. The sense of control that we had, we're like, oh, you know, COVID was not included in my 10-year plan. And underneath it all is like, can I trust my government? A lot of us have uh, fleed from countries with tyrannical governments and thought, uh, surely not in America. And now it seems to be history repeats itself that sinful men love power. And they love lording it over. So this has been a major background in the last few years with mandates and passports. Many families have had to make very difficult decisions on how to live their life. And unfortunately, we're still an age of people who want to lord over others. Luke portrays the story of Christ as a contrast to hard government power. Mary and Joseph comply to the governmental dictates, but at the same time offer offer a vision of hope in the midst of fear. They comply. They go to Bethlehem. They do what they're supposed to do. And in it, you see this humility in the birth of Jesus Christ with, you know, not the fanfare, 
Now, the next thing I'd like to talk about is money. Money. Uh, Christmas time, as we talked about, is a time of giving. And if you're falling on hard times, that giving kind of hurts. You're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough. Or if you do have enough, you're like, well, I'm not sure that I'm going to have enough for the other things I want. And money is a constant anxiety in all of our lives. You know, that's why Jesus teaches us so much about money because it's such a powerful counterfeit God that gives us security. It gives us pleasure. It gives us a sense of self. It gives us a sense of worth. It does a lot of the things that God is supposed to do in our life. And that's why it's so powerful. You know, that green, green, that lettuce, that cheese, that cheddar, it's, you know, it goes by many names. And uh, the Bible never describes money as being evil. It describes the love of it as the root of all evil. Money is a tool, but many of us, uh, you know, are worried about money. We have a fear about money in the future and whether God will provide. And that really comes into our Christmas time and chokes out that Christmas joy. Now, uh, you're like, well, where are you talking about money for? Well, what is a census for? Why is Caesar counting everyone in the world? It's to tax them. That's, That's what it is. So Caesar is counting everyone in the world so that he could tax them. So the holidays bring up this uh, time of stress and fear. And, I, you know, that's important to confess. It's important to put on the table. Mary and Joseph don't have much. They don't have much. Uh, but God is taking care of them. Next, displacement. You may be considering moving. I talked to a friend on the phone. He's like, I'm thinking of moving from Seattle to Florida. And he's like, I put an offer on the house. Uh, happy to see some friends here who have moved out, some friends who have moved in. Uh, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022 are becoming the years of the big sort that people are taking a look on their life and saying, hey, is this where I want to be long term? Is this what I want to do? This talk of displacement, though, uh, is an anxiety about commitment for the future. You know, you don't plant a garden in a place you're planning to leave. You don't plug into a church in a place you're planning to leave. You don't invest in relationships. And I think this further underscores the transiency that many of us feel in life. We're like, well, I'm not sure how the next two years is going to be. And we find that after a while, we are not living. We're just merely existing. Right? So in order to grow, you need to be planted. Right? And so many of us, not knowing the future, uh, pretend that we do. Pretend that we do. And many of those fears of displacement are ringing very, very loudly in our ears this Christmas. Instead of silent night, we hear, where am I going? Another fear that grips us all this particular holiday times is relationships. Relationships, particularly familiar relationships. And, uh, you know, this has been a very interesting time. Uh, Many people... You know, instead of gathering together, are dividing across political lines, racial lines, instead of gathering under lines of love, that we're all made in the image of God, that God wants us to live together. And though we may disagree, we can live with one another with respect and treat each other with love. I think that's a good place to start, right? Yeah. So these familial relationships, as we see, uh, you know, go down not just to our public ones, but to our private ones. Uh, 
All of these are underscored by money, government stuff, and the challenges of even maintaining romantic relationships. Uh, you know, whatever relationship status Mary and Joseph had, it's complicated would be an understatement, right? The Bible tells us that they're engaged and that she's with child. Not a good look, particularly in a traditional culture. And in fact, Jesus' opponents uh, never let him forget it. They, may, they would often ask as a jeer, so who's your dad again? Right? Who's your dad again? And so many of us might find ourselves uh, single, married, divorced, separated, or estranged. In addition, the holidays bring pain of those who are not there and often serve to underscore any unresolved family issues that have a way of bubbling up uh, to the surface around the holidays. And they, uh, they, you know, take a place of fear in the modern world for its anxiety. Family is a big one. Family is a big one. It's a big fear. It's something that we all kind of carry into this holiday season. And, you know, in this, we see that Joseph and Mary are right there with us. The next fear is parenting. Parenting. In speaking to most parents, there's probably been no more of a stressful time in the modern age uh, here in America to uh, be a parent. In addition to all the complexities that parenthood has, the advent of technology, as well as uh, cultural mores, uh, strange things being taught in school, and, you know, the already impossible task of being a godly parent just ratchet up the stress that it has on any relationships. You parents that are here, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, the pandemic has confounded all the fears that are usually present in, uh, in parent. I mean, uh, compounded those. Mary and Joseph bring up their child in a manger, right? That's where he's born. They are broke. They are not married. They are under the thumb of Rome, and now they have to raise a baby. And see, we see that Christmas, uh, you know, has all of these layers to it that you're like, you know what? That actually does sound my life. Besides the rah, 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 that's how I actually feel. That's what I actually think about when I'm alone or when I begin to think about my life. The next fear I'd like to talk about is exclusion. Exclusion. Many of us have had to make difficult choices to which degree we'll participate in society. Many of us desire things to go back to normal and that we're scared what to do under these complex times under the threat of exclusion and coercion. And my friends, that's just what it is. <laughs> that's just what it is. Your fears are not baseless. And this is a place for us to grow in wisdom, grow in stature, a time to come together. I'm not trying to fear monger at all. I just want to be mature in our appraisal of what's going on in yours and mine's life. And fear is a very bad place to make decisions. It's a very bad place because they're often the wrong ones. So whatever decision you make, that's that, you know, that's fine, but it's bad to make decisions out of places of fear. In fact, the Bible would call that sinful, regardless of the decision, if it's not made by faith. So, you know, uh, Mary and Joseph, they have nowhere to go. There's no room for them in the inn. The uh, circumstances that society has brought them for 
is a pregnant woman has to give birth with a whole bunch of animals. All right. And so when we look at our life and the abundance that we have, you know, it's not a place to compare misery. One should never do that. But at the same time, it's a good perspective check for us to understand that we have it quite good in certain ways and we should maybe thank God for that. Right. And not allow these fears to become tremendous monsters of darkness that begin to create uh, energy vampire vortex. <laughs> you know, many of us feel like dark clouds are coming around our heads. And that may be true. That may be true. But what, what is more important is who God is and what he's done. The last fear I'd like to talk about is the supernatural fear. You know, like what's supernatural fear? Well, when it gets quiet at night, when you've paid your bills, when you've made a plan, when you've began to address all these things that are going on and bothering you because you're type A and you know what to do, there might be that still gnawing fear of what does it all mean? What is it all for? Why has my life turned out this way? Why do I feel the way I do? Is there a God? How does this God feel about me? How do I feel about him? Is my life an accident? That underneath the many things and daily fears that we walk through and struggle through, when we're quiet and when we're honest, we see that we do have doubts, that we do have fears, that there is something. The shepherds are living a simple, quiet life. You know, biblically and historically, uh, shepherds were considered kind of the scum of society. They smell bad and they hang out with animals. <laughs> they're not particularly cultured. You know, uh, they're semi-nomadic. They spend time, again, just a whole bunch of dudes with animals hanging out. <laughs> and they're just going about their life when they are confronted by another world, by a supernatural power of heaven. A heaven that gives them news. And so I'd like to talk about good news of great joy. So what is the message then of heaven? In our complicated and busy lives, when we're staring up at the night sky and it opens up, will we be greeted by a threat or a friend? The messenger of God which is what the word angel means. As Pastor Bogdan tells us, we live in the city of angels or greater Los Angeles area. Angel just means messenger. That's, that's all the word means. The messenger of God, the angel says to our cold, dark, and fearful hearts, what's the message of heaven? How does God feel about us in the state that we find ourselves in? Do not be afraid. Because we are. <laughs> We are afraid. We are anxious. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is the message of the angel? Do not be afraid. So what does the angel tell us? What does the angel tell us? What is heaven's news to us? You know, if you pull out your phone, and uh, I usually get most of my news from Twitter. All right. It's like, are you following heaven and saying, huh, I wonder what the news of the day is from heaven. I'm sure someone even thought of that already, but that's fine. 
So what does the angel tell us? What does heaven tell us? Well, he tells us the following. Do not be afraid for I bring you good news of great joy. Good news for us. The first thing that heaven tells us as we walk through our fearful, ordinary circumstances where we're just going about our day, trying to make ends meet, the heavens open us and say, I have good news for you. For our weary hearts, good news. It's not good advice. You know, it's, it's, it's not an alert to say, hey, you really screwed up. You really need to fix that, right? It's not an alert to clean up your room. It's not a text message from your boss that says, why are you late? What does heaven tell us? It's not that God hates us. It's not that we don't have 10 steps to a better you in 2022. We have good news that life has come down into death. The resurrection has come, that God has incarnated, that the king has come home, that he will set things right. It's not about our power or our effort, or we would fall short. The deep breath becomes an exhale. Quote by C.S. Lewis, joy bursts into our lives when we go about doing Uh, the good at hand and not trying to manipulate things and times to achieve joy. I'm going to say that again. Joy bursts into our lives when we go about doing the good at hand and not trying to manipulate things and times to achieve joy. Joy is a gift. The gospel is a good news about a gift. We have good news, not good advice. You might have come to church and you hear the gospel and people tell you to repent. And all you hear that is like, I get it. Like, let me add it to my to-do list. But you're not hearing it, friend. The Bible is not about you. It's for you. It's the story of what Jesus has done, how he has come into the world, that it's good news. That this deep breath, uh, this exhale, is transformed into a shout of praise. We see that the angel talks about good news of great joy that will be for all people. So great joy. I love the hymn, A Holy Night. In fact, we're actually going to sing it later today. And it has this line, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If Jesus is in your life, everything is different. It may look the same, but everything is different. This is what joy is. It's a fundamental shift. It's a brand new reality. We see that the Bible is not sentimental when it talks about joy. The complications of Mary and Joseph's life have not changed. But you know what has? God is with them. God is with them. Joy is the power underneath life that allows us to see the light shining in the darkness. The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. That is why the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? When we think about joy and Christian joy in particular, and if any of us went to church 
or watch The Simpsons like me. <laughs> There's a particular character named Ned Flanders. It's Homer's neighbor. And it's a great caricature of Christianity, but many of us think that that's what it is. We think that the perma-smile, I could do all things, always happy, you know, that is not what the faith is. And that's not what Christian joy is. Christian joy is when you're in the jail, when you're in the dungeon, when your life is falling apart, when you've got that cancer diagnosis, a small voice says, I will praise the Lord. You sing songs of hope. We saw this spirit of joy over the last few weeks in our church. With Ben's passing, what could we do but just sing? It's not that we're happy, but we are joyful. Right? Next. Born for you, a savior. Born for you, a savior. We need a savior, not a plan. A plan is something you do. Salvation is something God does. I'm going to say that again. A plan is something you do. Salvation is something God does. A plan cannot raise the dead. A plan cannot transform. Only a savior can. Jesus is the savior that rescues us from the pit of darkness and despair, both metaphorical and literal. Not only is Jesus a savior, he is your savior. God loves you. And I want to just make this point here that the joy of Christmas is not that your neighbor got a gift. The joy of Christmas is not that your neighbor got a gift, but that you did. When I look at my daughters, they love each other very much. And it's more loving of me as a father to give them each a gift, not just one and say tough, you know, tough cookies. <laughs> Life is tough. That's, that's not kind. That's not loving. God is not for your neighbor. He is, but not only he is for you. And this is the point that Jesus loves you. And this, the angel tells the shepherds, he says, for you has been born a savior until the Christian message becomes something personal. It doesn't matter. Jesus is not our God, though he is. He's my God. Jesus didn't die for sins. He died for my sins. This is what we're talking about when we have a personal relationship with Jesus, that he is our savior. This is the undergirding of the joy of heaven, that he loves you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows how you feel. He knows your fears. And he has come for you. Will you receive that? Will you receive that? Number four. Born for you, Savior. Number four, uh, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. This Savior is not a mental crutch, but he came into human history as a king building a kingdom. He is the Messiah. He cares about your fears and is able to minister to you in your real life. 
Heaven is not a state of mind. It is an actual place where God rules and reigns. And he has began his global takeover and he will win. The Christmas story is not just a fable. It's a, it's a telling of what has happened in history. Caesar was real and so is Jesus. And the kingdom that he's building is not like 10 steps to an alternative spirituality that will really get you out of your funk so you could take off. No, he is building an actual kingdom through his people that will shape the world. And he has been doing so for the last 2000 years. All of the good things that we have come from God's kindness towards us. And so I don't want to just merely have a metaphor of Christmas is like, I just want warmth in your hearts. No, it's a real hope. It's a living hope because you're real people and you need real hope. You came here today. You have a body. It matters. And so we talk about things at the spiritual level and also at the physical level because God became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ the Lord. He really is the Lord. He really is the king. Now, peace on earth. Peace on earth. What is, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said this. Uh, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of justice. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of justice. The Bible has this word shalom where we talk about peace. That's harmony. That's when God is in charge, when things are set right in a shaking world, he is unshakable. And if you have peace with him, you have peace. This is the peace from above that surpasses all understanding. This is the song uh, of the angels. Glory to God in the highest then on earth. Peace on earth. Peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. You know, our fears, when we cast them on God, they're like waves coming into a rock. No matter the force of the waves, the rock still stays. And that's why we cast our cares on Jesus, for he cares for us. Eh? The last thing is favor, favor. It says, and on earth peace among men on whom his favor rests, on whom his favor rests. And if you ever thought about yourself, if you're like, if you're like me, you're probably loaded with insecurity. You look in your mirror and it's like, I don't know about COVID-19. I think that's a COVID-20. <laughs> and the holidays might exasperate that. And you're like, I could be making better choices and be more disciplined. Or, you, you know, Instagram makes this real because everyone has filters and you're looking in your face and you're like, well, I doesn't have a filter on. Right? And you look at yourself and you're like, man, I don't have enough money. <laughs> I don't look as good. I don't know. And we're like, man, I, you just feel a sense of restlessness in your life. And that's OK. And it could lead to positive change. And I'm not knocking that at all. I think that's great. But. What I want you guys to hear is that on whom his favor rests, peace on earth, uh, 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 among men with whom his favor rests. What form did God take when he entered the world, when he put on creation? He took on the form of us. He took on the form of us. 
He took on our form. So what does that say? God's favor rests upon every human person. Our question is, will we recognize that? Will we reflect that glory up to God? God loves you. He really does. And he showed that by taking your form. That he's not off in the heavens somewhere and saying, God, you don't know how I feel. He does. He does. He went through it. And that's the favor underneath it all. That if Jesus has taken creation upon himself, never to take it off again. We have eternal hope. That this world will resurrect. That those in the Lord will resurrect. And that when God looks at us, he sees his image. He sees his image. The question is, will we see that image back? Right? That is the grace that we need. That is the good news of heaven. Not so much that, you know, heaven is angry at all the unrighteousness that's going on. And God's just going to snuff it all out. And maybe you should, if you listen to that voice, help him out and end it early. That's not the message of heaven. That's the message of the devil who hates you. The Bible says that what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what does Jesus come to give life and give it to the full? Many of our thoughts about who God is, we've actually been mistaken. That's the devil. And so we need to hear that message of heaven loudly, that it would be that seed of joy that goes down deep. Tim Keller has this wonderful, wonderful image. He talks about joy like a furnace. And he talks about uh, a furnace has a little pilot light that, you know, it's fine. And depending on your temperament, you might be loud and boisterous and bubbly in the life of the party, or you might be a little bit quieter, more reserved. And that's fine that, that there's not a right way to do joy or not do joy, you know, and it's uh, bad to judge others by yourself as the standard. All right. So, so, but he has this image and he talks about Christian joys like this. It's not the Ned Flanders. It's not the perma smile that, you know, you just got punched in the face and, uh, you know, you're like, Oh, everything's great. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you're like, I, I, dude, you're like falling apart. You're not acknowledging anything. And so Christian joy is like a furnace. It's like a pilot light. What happens when you set the thermostat or when it gets cold? That pilot light's always burning, but then it really begins to burn. And it begins to provide you heat on those cold days. That's what Christian joy is like. When the joy of Christmas comes into your heart, when you see the love of Jesus coming through, which is like, even if I do all bad, and even if I do all good, Jesus came. He came. And in that is where we look for hope. We finally look past ourselves. And on our best day, we raise our hands and glorify God. And on our worst day, we raise our hands and we glorify God. Then they may be a little heavier. This is the supernatural joy that we need in order to confront the darkness, both outside and in here. We do not need to add to the dumpster fire of negativity. We are not primarily against, we are for Jesus, his rule and reign. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. 
And what do we want to do? We want to join the chorus of heaven. C.S. Lewis has another great quote. Joy is the serious business of heaven. I'm going to say that again. Joy is the serious business of heaven. You need joy this holiday season. You need joy this Christmas season. You need it. Your family needs it. And the world needs joy. And it needs joy because we are men and women of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. That is why we need joy. Last thing I'd like to talk about is the treasure of the heart, the treasure of the heart. As we see in our stories, the shepherds don't stay in the field. This is a good lesson to us. If you have an experience that's weird that you don't know what to do with, don't be like, well, that was weird. I'm indigestion, right? No, they go in and check in what they've heard about. They take the next step. Don't let a revelation be your last step in your faith journey. But the first, they don't just stay in the field. They go and check in on what we've heard. Like you saw that too. Oh, I thought that was just the sheep. No, right. They find Mary and Joseph and Jesus and tell them all that had been told. And they're like, it was exactly in a manger. Like they said, that's weird. People aren't usually born in mangers. You know, uh, they find it and they tell, they're like, guys, this is what happened. And I want you guys to think about, we usually think of these stories as um, uh, pulled together. And I, I want to pull them apart a little bit, but they tell Mary treasures in their heart and they go back praising God. But Christmas is not for the sentimental. And I want to just talk a little bit about Mary and Joseph's experience. Christmas is flesh and blood real. I remember when both of my children were born and life is no rainbows and butterflies. It's, it's uh, filled with pain, wounding, and blood. Right? Are angels coming to Mary and Joseph? No, they're not. They are in a barn. Uh, some traditions call it a cave. They're in a dark cave. Maybe there's a midwife there. Maybe not. It says that there was multiple people there. They're just experiencing a regular childbirth. They're going through life. And sure, they've been visited by uh, angels in the past or experiences their heart, but their life is ordinary. No, nothing is happening that, yeah, she's pregnant. She's having a baby. And many of us think about, oh, yeah, it's the angels. And uh, like all of a sudden we hear Handel's Messiah swelling and Jesus comes out perfectly clean. And, Mary, you, know, you know, he's usually like a, you know, a two-year-old. Right? He's not a newborn. There's no umbilical cord. Right? It's just imperfect and everyone's serene when we look at the ancient icons. No, this is ordinary life. Dirty, gross, smelly animals, blood. And that's your and my life. Let's be honest. If anyone zooms in, that's what it looks like. And then in come the shepherds. And they're like, the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. And this is what happened. And they're all amazed. Wow. This is incredible, right? The joy of Christmas is, uh, is that on the other side of life, or on the other side is life indeed, true life, eternal life. The word that created the world became flesh and dwelt among us. 
This is a weighty and powerful mystery to which we truly do sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. The shepherds are moved by the joy of heaven to investigate the reason for the season. Let that be us. Let that be us. Let us be moved by the things that we've seen and heard the last few weeks. Let us be moved to take that next step. Let us be moved to firm up that commitment. Let us be moved to confess that fear. Let us be moved to confess that doubt. Let us be moved to tell someone else about it. Let us be moved to encourage others going through a tough time. When heaven's glory gets revealed to us, don't let it stay inside. Don't let it stay inside. When joy moves us from fear to faith, we find that joy never leaves. Let's say that again. When joy moves us from fear to faith, we find that joy never leaves. The last thing I'd want to just talk about is learning to gather treasure of the heart. Learning to gather treasure of the heart. It tells us in Verse 19, but Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. God is not a God to be understood. He's a God to be worshipped. Right? People are not people to be understood. They're there to be loved. Right? When we consider gathering treasures of the heart, the most important thing about the story of Christmas is the story of Christmas. We need to allow that story to break into our lives, that we would be the shepherds of the feeling, hearing the news from heaven, that we have great news of good news of great joy, that unto us, me, has been born a savior, that this news would unfreeze our hearts and move us to find him. And having found him on those ordinary and extraordinary days that we would seal it up in our hearts as our great treasure. That God himself has come to be with us. And as we walk in a world full of pain, we have a heart with an endless treasury of joy. Filled with stories of God showing up in the most unlikely places, in cemeteries, in houses, on the streets, in churches, in marriages, in families, telling the world the good news of great joy, that they can lay their evil deeds behind because the darkness cannot overcome the light. Then you look at your Christmas tree and remember that God gave you a gift that he put on a tree. And that tree of death becomes a tree of life. A joy that shines brightest when it's darkest. It is not a joy that we deserve. It is the joy that you need. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Christmas is an amazing time. It's a time of celebration. It's a time for communities to gather and 
families to gather and it's a time to give gifts and it's a time to enjoy each other's company. Lord, help us to embrace that. Help us not to be consumed by the cynicism of consumerism and the fears of our problems and the fears that drag us down and the fears that choke our families and that choke our marriages and that choke our children and that choke our churches. Lord, I pray that we would be a people marked by joy that even when it's dark, we know there's a candle burning that Rome may be in power, but in Bethlehem, there's a little fire flickering and nothing can put that out. Lord, I pray that we would see Christmas as a time not for doing, but for receiving your grace. That we would see that, in fact, you really do love us. Lord, we have a hard time believing that. I pray that this love would melt our hearts. Lord, that the sins that we cling so closely to, that we believe will satisfy us, that you would disabuse us of that notion. Lord, that we read in your presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Help us to experience that joy. Help us to sing that joy. Help us to walk humbly in that joy. Help us to be, uh, Lord, blessed. Lord, help us to be mourners, Lord. Lord, help us to be pure of heart that we would see you. Lord, I pray uh, for your supernatural intervention in our lives this Christmas time, Lord. That as we watch our Christmas movies and hug each other and do white elephants and silly sweater stuff, uh, Lord, that all of that would be a reflection of the joy that you bring on Christmas. That there is hope, that we have a future, Lord, and that we would not add to the cynicism of this world, Lord, but that we would share the story of Jesus Christ, that in him we have hope, Lord. And so we could lay aside our evil deeds and sins. We could also lay aside our good works, Lord. Uh, you know, that we commend ourselves to you and that we would receive your grace and proceed forward to the good works that you have prepared beforehand. This Christmas, Lord, help us to rejoice in you. Help us to love you, Lord. Uh, lead us in that way, Lord. And I pray that as the shepherds left Mary and Joseph, the song of heaven came into their hearts. And what did they do? They sang, they praised. And I pray, Lord, we wouldn't just carry it in our hearts, but that we would open up our mouths and that we would sing your praise and that we would sing your glory and that that song would transform the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio content from Forward Church. We hope you were encouraged and are cheering you on as you follow Jesus. For more information, please visit forwardchurchirvine.com.